for those who know every line, and for those finding Star Wars for the very first time, welcome to Growing Up Skywalker. Growing up, Skywalker. Hello there. My name is Anna. I'm Sam. And today we have a very special episode for a lot of reasons. We're covering the pilot of Obi Wan Kenobi. It's part one, and we have one of our favorite people on the planet here with us to talk about this fantastic episode of television. We have Kathleen from the FSF Popcast. Hello, Kathleen. Would you like to introduce yourself? I would. I Like Anna said, I am Kathleen from the FSF Popcast. I am one third of the crew, along with Tim and Nick. We talk everything nerdy, because that's what we do. We also do our monthly Star Wars RPG that Sam is part of. So this is very exciting to get to cross shows again. I'm excited to be here. And you have the honor of uh, being the last person to join out of that crew. Tim joined us for one of the I mall do. episodes, and Nick joined us for the uh, Ahsoka Hunted arc, which was a lot of yeah, fun. Yeah, that's true. I I honestly, when Obi-Wan came out, though, and I'm like, I want to talk with Anna about Obi-Wan. Like, when when I saw the first episode, I'm like, I messaged Sam with the, no, I, I, want, it, I want in on this yeah. one. This is... This is exciting. One year ago, almost to the day, Kathleen was like, we got a girl talk about (laughs) Obi-Wan. Yes! Yes! Let's get into the plotting of this one, and then we'll have a lot to discuss. Perfect. Okay. Definitely. We open Obi-Wan Kenobi with a two-minute recap of the prequel trilogy that somehow manages to squeeze in every heartbreaking line from over six hours of film. I cried so much so fast. I've never gone from zero to 60 so fast crying. I was oh like, am I a wuss? Am I a wuss all of a sudden? Or is this genuinely nope. heartbreaking? This is genuinely heartbreaking. Okay. Well, good, good. Uh, don't worry. It gets worse. We finish the introduction and we see Order 66 again. I think every piece of modern Star Wars television, at least, has given us Order 66 from a different angle. So we get that. I could not handle it. And then we jump forward 10 years and we open the show proper on the market on Tatooine. I I think it's the first time we've been here since Attack of the Clones. Possibly, yeah. It might be. So the citizens of Tatooine are milling about. They're minding their own business. They're having a lovely Mos Eisley day. And then three mysterious someones fly in, disembark. I wrote in my notes that they disembark threateningly. And it turns out (laughs) that they are on the hunt for Jedi. Still, 10 years after Order 66, they are what are known as Inquisitors. So they roll into this bar and start threatening the barkeep. And they give their modus operandi, which is... The Jedi hunt themselves. They leave a trail of compassion and they put this barkeep in a fork. They say, we can harm you. We can harm your family to make the Jedi come out and defend you because of just a rumor. And the people around are like, hey, we can't do this. Like, this is the outer rim. You have no sway here. But one of the Inquisitors flings a knife right at the barkeep's head and it stops in midair And a Jedi is across the bar holding his hand up. And they're like, there he is. Yep. He's a young kid. He's a force user. His name is Nari. And he bolts. And then we get the first glimpse of this tension between the Grand Inquisitor, who you thought was the scariest. But it turns out the third sister, the one who threw the knife, is actually probably the one to watch out for. She has some kind of bone to pick with Obi-Wan. It sounds like she's been hunting him for 10 whole years. But they're not here for Obi-Wan. They're here for any Jedi. And it's apparently this Nari character. Speaking of Obi-Wan Kenobi, we cut to an open air butcher shop. We pan over some truly exhausted minimum wage workers. And we pause on the man, the myth, the legend himself. He doesn't even look that great. And I definitely still squealed. He's got a lot of gray and a lot of scruff and is just 
carving up pieces of this sand whale in the middle of the desert. He's still Obi-Wan, though. It's still still Obi-Wan, though, and we love him. (laughs) And he has this little routine. You know, at work, the closing bell rings. He slices off a little bit of meat. He slips it in his apron. He gets his pay for the day. He rides back to town. He feeds the meat to his space camel. And then he goes home to his cozy little cave in the desert and makes dinner. And if you put captions on it, it would be like one of those influencer videos on TikTok. It would be like, (laughs) here's the five to nine after my nine to five. He has one friend. It's Tika the Jawa who steals his stuff and sells it back to him. And And, heckles him. And heckles him. I should have brought soap. I could smell you from town. And I truly feel like this is every single 20-somethings existence. Mm-hmm. It looks peaceful. Mm-hmm. Sign me up. People steal your stuff and try to sell you soap. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the whole interaction with the just, I, I watched it again last night and laughed. Still mm-hmm. love it. It, it is, is funny. delightful. The important bit about Obi-Wan's cave is that he is set up in the desert, kind of where he can keep an eye on Luke Skywalker. As you remember from the end of Revenge of the Sith, Obi-Wan's task was to keep an eye on Luke Skywalker. And also Yoda gave him some homework, which was uh, learn how to connect through the force to your old master, Qui-Gon Jinn. Mm -hmm. So unclear how successfully he's doing either of his pieces of homework. But yeah, this has been his routine for the last 10 years. Go to work, come home, have nightmares about all the mistakes he's made in his life, and check in on Luke. So he drops off the T-16 Skyhopper toy that he had bought from Tika in the middle of the night. And then as Kenobi is making his way on his space camel back through the desert at night, he's being followed. And the character that's following him is none other than Nari. And Nari comes up to him and says... Master, Master Obi-Wan, you have to help me. I escaped from the Inquisitors. I need your help. And it becomes very, very clear, if it hadn't been already, that this Obi-Wan is a different Obi-Wan than we used to know. He turns Nari away. He says, the time of the Jedi is over. Go hide. I don't answer to that name anymore. And I can do nothing for you. Walk into the middle of the desert and bury your lightsaber. And that's when we cut to Alderaan for a total vibe shift. Because now we're on a space utopia because Alderaan is space Geneva. It's beautiful. (laughs) Bail Organa and his beautiful wife have been raising Luke's sister Leia for the last 10 years. And she is a firecracker. She is a princess of Alderaan, but she just wants to run around the woods and do mischief with her little toy droid, Lola. I've never related to anything more in my entire life. <laughs> and for a while. This is, this is when I got to the point where I'm like, I have to talk to Anna about this. Like Alderaan hit. And I'm like, yep. And this is where this is where it starts. I cannot wait to talk to you, Kathleen, about your firecracker daughter. I am oh so excited. Gosh, it's the best. <laughs> so for a while, Leia does exactly what she wants. She is sneaking off to the woods. She's going to family functions. She's terrorizing her horrible cousins. But then she goes into the woods and is snatched up by some child thievers and whisked away to outer space. And we find out that there is a plot. And this is the plot. It's by the third sister to lure Kenobi out of hiding and into her clutches. She says the Jedi will hunt himself. And importantly, the third sister, Reva, doesn't know that Leia is Leia Skywalker. She just is going after Bail Organa to go after mm-hmm. Kenobi. I think that actually made it so much more beautiful. I love the Bail Organa friendship. But importantly, back on Tatooine, all sorts of stuff is going on because once again, fifth brother, who's the third wheel, and third sister, who's Reva, show up in the market square, looking for the Jedi. And Kenobi is watching because Kenobi has just been confronted by Owen Lars, who is Luke's uncle. Which is an awful scene. And Owen throws back the toy and says, and Kenobi says, hey, the deal was I'm going to train him. And Owen says, like you trained his father? Oof. Sick burn. Kathleen is making a knife to the heart gesture. I feel that. So, oh man, it hurts. It does. So 
Owen wants Kenobi to have nothing to do with Luke's life. He's just like, hey, we're going to raise him on the farm as a weird survivalist kid. It's going to be great. You just need to go along your way. But the Inquisitors show up and they stop everyone in the crowd. Reva goes up, chops someone's hand off because she is the real bad cop compared to the Fifth Brothers regular bad cop. And they single out Owen Lars. Reva is up in his face and he says, I hate the Jedi. Jedi are vermin. I kill vermin on my farm. And she's about to kill him and his family in order to just cause a scene when she is stopped by the fifth brother who pulls her aside into the alley. They leave behind a bounty puck that they're looking for Nari. And they pull each other aside. And fifth brother says, why are you so obsessed with Kenobi? What are you doing? Why are you so ambitious? Because that is her thing. She wants what she is owed as this hotshot inquisitor. So this is a very, very bad time for Obi-Wan to be calling any kind of attention for him to himself. Unfortunately, this is when Bail Organa calls Obi-Wan and says, you need to come save Leia. And he gets a no from Kenobi on saving his daughter. So then he shows up in person in Obi-Wan's cave and straight up does not take no for an answer. Obi-Wan is like, listen, friend, I am not the guy you used to know. And Bail Zaddy Organa looks him dead in the eye and says, you're going to have to be that guy again. Go rescue my daughter. So Obi-Wan rides his trusty space camel out into the desert. He digs up his lightsaber. He finds his Jedi robe and he buys a ticket on the next ship out of town and goes off to find Leia. One of the things which does change his mind is the Inquisitors did catch Nari and they hanged him in the town square. So the stakes have been raised that Kenobi now knows he has to go. And that's where the episode ends is him... The uh, the flight attendant, which on Tatooine is a shriveled old lady who yells at you, says, are you are you coming or going? And he's like, I guess I'm coming. And he gets aboard the ship and takes off. So that's the end of part one of Kenobi. Wow. OK, first question, Sam, Kathleen, you are both veteran fans of Star Wars. So I just want to know, what was your reaction to this first pilot episode? Oh, man. Um, So when Kenobi premiered, my husband and I were actually waking up at four in the morning and watching it before he went to work. Wow. And like it was the we got up every week and watched it before he got to before he went to work because neither one of us was going to watch it without the other one. But this episode absolutely brought me to tears the first time. Mm -hmm. I love Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan has always been has always had a special place in my heart. Ewan McGregor makes him even better. I mean, it's 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 complicated, but it's also understandable. I mean, I feel like everybody everybody loves Space Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and but like the the start of this episode pulling those those clips from the prequels. And I feel like they they chose those clips absolutely perfectly. You have all of those heart-wrenching moments, but those heart-wrenching moments that specifically were surrounding Obi-Wan and Obi-Wan's journey through that. That yes, the prequel trilogy is focusing on Anakin's journey, but spinning that to look at his his best friend's side of it too. And then taking that into what he's done for the last 10 years. I adore the entire series, but this first episode, like it it locked it down in my mind of the no, I'm gonna love this. I wish it had been a longer episode, but it's it's Obi-Wan. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think you love about it? Oh man, so many things. Um, I do like, as, as much as I hated the interaction between Obi-Wan and Owen, I also understand that that side with the, oh, the way you trained his father. It's like, ow, burn, but also I get where you're coming from. But I loved the seeing the the way that Vader's rising has affected different people, seeing the way that it affects Owen and Baru, the way that they're trying to make sure that it doesn't affect Luke, the way that the Organas are dealing with raising Leia, that we know what she becomes. We we all we all know and love Princess Leia. Mm-hmm. So to go back and see her as a 10-year-old was huge for me. 
absolutely huge for me. Like, I feel like the the moment her little face showed up on screen, I'm like, okay, I love her. <laughs> <I'm good. laughs> Instantly looking at cosplay ideas for my daughter. Oh, like, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Like as, as soon as she showed up, I'm like, okay, I'm pretty sure my mom can make that. <laughs> that That's going to happen. <laughs> Sam, what was your reaction? So first of all, waterworks, because this version of order 66, we, we do the recap and it's beautiful and it's got a uh, Jedi fallen order music, which is very cool. They've got this like cool force Jedi theme over the whole thing. And then we cut to here's the point of view of order 66. And this is going to be more important later in the season. So bookmark this one. We're in one of those youngling training classes and there's a bunch of younglings wearing their stupid little youngling hats. Oh, but it's peaceful <laughs> and it's meditative and they're safe and it's nighttime and, and it's the like door a yoga opens class. And clones walk in and their Jedi master is defending them from clones. They're being hustled out of a school. They're being hustled out of a school during a school shooting and they're being carried by their Jedi master who kills a ton of clones before going down. And as the camera is panning around, we are seeing that this is not the only instance of this that is happen happening everywhere throughout the Jedi temple. And I'm like tearing up because like just thinking about this, because every time order 66 happens, it hurts more mm -hmm. to me. It's darker and harder and it is absolutely brutal. And then we fast forward to a broken man hmm. and seeing seeing obi-wan be this old broken man who is mm -hmm. doing his thing and there's a there's a really key moment where right after the inquisitors have come by and said the way we get jedi is we get them to hunt themselves through a trail of compassion and then we cut to kenobi and he's this he's the last person in line at his little fish factory and the person in front of him has had his pay cut by 50 percent this is only half. And the foreman punches him in the guts and says, I'll take it all next time. And you can see the pain in Kenobi's eyes because he's like, I need to do the right thing about this. And there's so much evil in the universe. Yeah. It's like the way that Kenobi has survived is by denying that part of himself that is core to his identity, right? It reminded me a lot of the Zygerian arc in the Clone Wars when Kenobi gets captured with all of the Togrudans and they're making him work in the mines and they put a shock collar around everybody's necks. And if Kenobi fights back, they hurt whoever is next to him. And that is what tames him, right? He can't mm -hmm. bring himself to bring pain to the people around him. And so it's so cruel and it's so tragic that this is what he's been reduced to. Another thing that popped for me, and it was sort of, this is only the second time I've seen this. Uh, it was more this time, which is that Owen Lars might be the only person who knows how dark Anakin, who, who even has an inkling of how dark Anakin turned out because Kenobi mm -hmm. thinks Anakin is dead. Kenobi mm -hmm. left him in pieces on Mustafar and is a hundred percent sure he killed him. And Owen knows what happened because he was there at the funeral when he saw Anakin completely lose his mind as an evil self-centered person at his own mother and Owen's adopted mother's funeral. Hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. So I have a question and maybe we'll, we'll turn it over to Kathleen first. Do you think veteran fans experienced Kenobi differently than a new fan would? Um, I feel like probably, I mean, the, the veteran fans, because we, I mean, anybody who started with, with the original trilogy, seeing old Ben Kenobi first and then falling in love with, Kenobi in the prequel trilogies and then in the cartoons, I feel like there is that we feel like he's, he's an old friend. We've known him our whole life sort of thing. And I feel like there is that, that deeper connection with the veteran fans and there is with the newer fans. But also I feel like this is, this would also almost be a great spot to start a new fan too, with the, if we're going to focus the entire star Wars story on Obi-Wan, Let's start here and then split his timeline again. I feel mm -hmm. like this is one of those things where you could jump into Star Wars in this 
in this miniseries even. Wow. That is a question that we asked last week about Solo. I hadn't even considered starting a new fan on Kenobi. That's a bold statement. I feel like it would make you I feel like it would make you fall in love with with the Skywalker twins specifically too that you would you'd have the connection to them as as younger kids before then you meet them as the 18-year-olds in episode 4. Yeah. That makes sense. I was thinking as a new fan that this is really the first time that I'm getting exposed to Luke and Leia. The only other time I met them was as swaddled newborns at the end of Revenge Mm -hmm. of the Sith. And so it is interesting that I'm going to watch them grow up in fast forward. And that is really different from what veteran fans have experienced, probably watching the original trilogy first. Mm -hmm. Now, that was was another thing that I saw... And my first watch through of this is that it seemed like, hey, this is the Kenobi story and it's probably going to have a bunch of young Luke boy adventurer. And then we immediately cut to Leia being a precocious scamp. And I was not expecting that at all. I was completely blindsided and so excited to see, first of all, Alderaan and like a well-adjusted family uh, in the dinner Mm -hmm. scene. Leia gets chewed out oh. by her cousin who's older and meaner for and being, terrible who's terrible for being adopted oh gosh, and yeah. she like reaches into his heart and takes it out and beats it in front of him and then shoves it on the floor and stomps on it but then she does have to go to her dad Bail Organa and say I'm not even a real Organa and he says you are an Organa in your heart because you're mm-hmm. gonna be this great politician because you don't want to be one you are this precocious intelligent young woman she is Anakin's daughter with Padme's understanding of people, and she is terrifying. (laughs) Well, so Kathleen, you have a precocious young daughter. Tell us, is this realistic? (laughs) Oh my gosh, 100%. Yes. Like, (laughs) it is, I am, I am so grateful that I am not trying to hide her from, from somebody who, in all reality, would want to kill her. Like, the, the, the task the Organas have of keeping Leia safe is insane when she is probably the biggest danger to herself. <laughs> like, yeah, I and I feel the same way about my daughter. With the, I am trying to to keep you safe. I am trying to help you grow to an adult. And every day, you are coming up with new and exciting ways to potentially hurt yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Which it doesn't feel like we get that from Luke. I got such a calmer vibe from the mm-hmm. teeny tiny snapshot that we get of Luke through Obi-Wan's binoculars. Like, yeah, he's ducking away from his chores and pretending to be piloting a... A pod racer. A, a pod racer. Yeah. He, I mean, in that sense, he is Anakin's son. But I got such a calmer Padme vibe from Luke. Yeah. And I, I do feel like that is that is definitely something that you see in the twins, that Luke is more of the calm Padme and Leia is that go get him Anakin. Like she is at the front line causing the trouble. And I actually kind of love that about them. I love that they've kind of swapped Anakin and Padme in the twins. Yeah, that's a really delicious flip-flop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that a lot. That's really fun. We had a uh, a party with some of my old friends, and they have their their kids now. And they're like, yep, the daughter's just like the dad, and the son's just like the mom, and they just swapped personalities. And it's weird how you can see the personalities in the children. But I do like mm-hmm. how, particularly in this, we can absolutely see the absolute crazy precociousness of Padme and Anakin and Leia. It's a lot of fun. So I had just a million questions running through my mind. And since we're talking about Leia, maybe I'll ask a few Leia Alderaan-centric questions. If Bail Organa was a senator, how is Leia Organa then a princess? Yeah, Because Star Wars politics makes no sense. Okay. (laughs) He does tell her she's going to be joining the junior senators and that Although her cousins are going to be like part of the Organas who run the planet, she's going to be the one who like represents mm-hmm. Alderaan. So maybe they have like a system where similar to the Holy Roman Emperor, you are a an elector, despite the fact that you are like a count or a baron or a king in your own right, but you're also an elector for the emperor. 
so that's the way it worked in let's call it Germany for let's call it a thousand years. But on Alderaan, you have some system of feudal lords lording over this beautiful space, Geneva. But so Bale is not a monarch. He's a senator. Is his wife a monarch? Another great question. I'm not entirely sure. Okay. (laughs) Just trying to figure out the political structure of Alderaan. By by oh, querying well, the two experts on the line, <laughs> as I, because I had to do a, a quick Google search, it does say that she is Queen Brea mm. of Alderaan. Okay, so they're a power couple. So they are a power couple, and Bail Organa married into royalty, which is honestly so on brand. I love that for him. Oh oh oh! We also from Screen Rant. It says that Bail is a prince consort, oh. alongside aside from being senator. And his wife is queen. So Bale is the trophy husband. Well, if he's, yes. Perfect. But he's like, he's the, he's the one who works for a living and she's the one who does the, uh, was born into it. But it's interesting then that Leia has both sides of it, that she's got the political and like hardworking acumen of her father, well, of her adopted father, and then the bloodline, adopted bloodline of her adopted mother. Fascinating. (laughs) That's one of those things that like, it, it was... I know that it, it had been explained to me at one point, but I also grew up watching the the original trilogy and never really thought about the, how is she a princess if he's a senator? But no, that makes sense. If her mom was the queen, then thank you for to our friends over at Screen Rant for answering that question for me because <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> so we talked about this a little bit in our most recent watch through of The Phantom Menace when we went back through it uh, right before we did episode three. And it was that on Naboo, the bourgeoisie had like a small set of families, which kind of vied for power. You had the Palpatines and the uh, Amidalas. And so one would be like mm-hmm. the senator family and one would be like the queen family and they'd bounce back and forth. So basically just having two families run the whole planet going back and forth. Yeah. Hmm. I want to change gears just a little bit. So Sam and I over breakfast were talking about how there is a big time jump from what seemed to me to be Solo to Kenobi. But at least if we don't know exactly when Solo was happening, we do know that we're now 10 years into the age of the Empire. So Mm -hmm. the Empire has now had 10 years to settle in, to firm up its grip. How do you think we're seeing the empire manifest in this age of the galaxy? And how are we seeing it manifest on Tatooine? And is that different? Ooh. Well, that was actually one of the things too, when they announced Kenobi that I was super excited about because I mean, in the original trilogy, Vader is this huge, terrifying, evil person. And we never really get to see Vader's rise to power. And I feel like getting to be 10 years into the empire, seeing how the inquisitors are on Tatooine, even the, but this is the outer rim. You don't have power. Like, no, they do. They have power everywhere. And I love getting to experience that. And I mean, as you go further into the, this, into the miniseries without spoiling anything for you, Anna, you definitely see the empire's power. You definitely I mean, when Kenobi first came out and I'm like, full strength Vader, we're going to get full strength Vader. Yeah, (laughs) it's terrifying. (laughs) It is straight up scary and it's it's beautiful at the same time. Wow, that's so interesting because the sense that I got just from this first episode of Kenobi is that the power of the Inquisitors is actually waning it seemed to me like my perception from this grandstanding from the Grand Inquisitor, you know, he's doing this theatrical scene in the bar where he's pacing around. He's trying to impress his power on people. And then the third sister, Reva, just comes in and is like, I'm not going to waste my time hunting down the scraps is what she says. Mm-hmm. It seemed like Riva was trying to bring in this big kahuna, which is Kenobi, maybe to re-solidify the Inquisitor's reputations. Did I did I get that totally wrong? I, I think you actually read that right on. Huh. That mm. in the intervening 10 years, the Inquisitors would have been put together and have been hunting down Jedi. And they've caught 
most of them. And the ones who are left are scraps like Nari, who looked like he had been barely a Padawan and then became a Jedi and has been on the run for 10 years. But they still know Kenobi is alive because he was the one to give the message. He installed the message at the Jedi Temple at the end of during Order 66. He said, it's a trap. Mm -hmm. Turn around. Go into hiding. So they know Obi-Wan's still alive, and he is like the last remaining Jedi Master who anyone saw. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So from what I hear you saying, Kathleen, is that maybe we're going to see the power of the Inquisitors increase? I think I think so. I feel like in the first episode, it is kind of that maybe they're not as scary as we think they are, but I feel like they're trying to... I felt like they were trying to throw us off. <laughs> but I also feel like I go into most everything with Star Wars with the, is this a trap or not? That's probably like, wise. The Akbar muscle. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The, I'm not going to get attached to that character. Oh, or that no. Character or that character. Or it's like Game of Thrones all over again. <laughs> Now, Game of Thrones in space. Now, Kathleen, in our watch through, this is the only the second time we've seen Inquisitors because we saw one in Tales of the Jedi, which is um, a, the final Ahsoka arc of that, which is presumably mm-hmm. roughly concurrent in time with this. It's some years after Order 66. Right. But several of these Inquisitors are pulled from other TV shows. What did you feel about the live action adaptation of Inquisitors? Because this is the first live action Inquisitor. Um, I actually really liked it. I really liked how they how they brought them in, especially the Grand Inquisitor. I know that there was some uproar initially with the well, that's not who he looks in the cartoons. He's a cartoon that's character because you cartoons. can draw cartoon you can draw cartoon heads different than human heads. I'm sorry, it's shocking. Who would have known? Right? And I mean, sure, you could have put prosthetics on and given him a giant mega mind head, but he didn't need one. He he's still he still had an incredible screen presence. Mm-hmm. I feel that he has. He definitely, I mean, yes, it, like you said, in the in the cantina, it was kind of that theatrical, but that's Star Wars. Like, they're always theatrical. They are always at the, it's a, it's a space opera. You're, you're supposed to expect operatic yes. emotions from things. People just do things for the drama, the capital D drama. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, imagine, <laughs> think about all the times that there's capes flowing and capes fla- flapping in the breeze. We don't know if there's actually a breeze there or if they're using the force to make their capes move. They are just incredibly dramatic, and I love it. Well, that's because that's what the Inquisitors have been taught, is to use fear as a weapon, mm-hmm. because it puts people into these forks. They they are specifically mm-hmm. trained to pull the Jedi out, and they have such a beautiful introduction. The ship rolls in, every, everything in town stops because this pitch black ship lands and the three yep. inquisitors walk out and it's like a western where like the tumbleweed rolls across and everyone else is just frozen with their heads down like even the horses aren't doing anything it's very mm-hmm. scary yeah it's fascinating to me to see that if you're living on an outer rim planet like tatooine there doesn't seem to be any kind of police presence there are no law enforcement agents it seems like you are just at the mercy of anyone even vaguely imperial anyone who feels like terrorizing you in the plaza can Mm -hmm. there's so much insecurity as a person living on tatooine and then we see leia living in this beautiful palace on alderaan safe enough that she can run off into the woods whenever she feels like it there are armed guards everywhere keeping threats ostensibly out. And it's so Mm -hmm. interesting to see that Luke and Leia are having a very different experience, even just growing up. Yeah, vastly, vastly different. And I love to Leia running off into the woods and sitting there in the tree and identifying the ships flying ahead, flying overhead and making up stories on why they're going where they're going. It is so different from the the rough and tumble outer rim that Luke is growing up in. (laughs) What I love about that scene is that first of all, the ship she identifies, she says it's an Aqualand Ranger probably going to hunt Merson pirates. Mm-hmm. And so the Aqualand Rangers are something from way back in the Macquarie days when they were still coming up with art and concepts for the original trilogy. The ship itself, she points out, is a uh, product tie-in with Porsche. 
<laughs> they made a very silly looking star. No ship. way. Mm-hmm. And then when she goes to bail, he banters with her and she's like, I saw mm-hmm. an Aqualan Ranger. And he's like, yeah, probably off to fight the Mercen pirates. Oh, and so right. like, that's such, mm, they did such a good job of having like positive father daughter bonding. Of mm-hmm. We have each other's interests and we have each other's backs and what we like, we are just indefatigable together. I loved that scene. Yeah. And there's, there's a moment too when Leia runs off the second time mm-hmm. and, and Bale says to Bria that she's, she's gone again. And well, I thought you, I thought you had her convinced. I thought you had her under control or whatever. It's like, <laughs> uh, jokes on you. There is no having her under control. That's, that's not going to happen. <laughs> it's funny. You bring that up. One of the uh, criticisms in the zeitgeist I recall was that people are like, how does a kid outrun grown adults? I'm like, have you, ever tried to chase a kid through the forest before have you ever just been to the zoo and watched yeah. somebody else's children yeah we literally were hanging out with small children yesterday and i was like you know what there was a time in my life when if we were racing through the jungle gym i could have definitely kept up at this advanced age of 28 years old i don't want to skin my knees i don't want to get no. rug burn like you Children are more willing to put their bodies at risk by mm-hmm. tree trunks and slipping on the leaves. And I'm like, yeah, those kids are going to get away from me. And that's okay. The other summer, we were back at uh, the property I grew up on, which is 14 acres of scrub oak in Southern Colorado. And I had some little cousins and I was taking them out for like little runs. And these kids are four. And they would easily be able to outrun me across terrain that we've cleared over the last 20 years that I know like the back of my hand because I grew in it because they can duck under the trees. They still beat Mm -hmm. you. Yeah. And it's funny is like, I frequently will ask my husband, how does she have so much energy? He's like, she has the same amount of energy just in a smaller (laughs) container. There's there's more. it, It just feels like there's more. Because she doesn't have to move as much body. And I'm like, well, it's ridiculous. And I feel like she's drained it directly from my soul. <laughs> <laughs> and I see powers. that. I see that in the Organas even. With oh, the, yeah. No, she is literally draining the energy out of you. I can, I can see it in the way her mom like rolls her eyes at her even. In the most delightful fashion, she is a yes. handful. She is. She is a force to be reckoned with. And I love her. I, I I told my husband when we first watched this, and then when I watched the episode again yesterday, there is no doubt in my mind that Carrie Fisher would look at this little Leia and be so freaking proud of her. Mm-hmm. She would be so proud of that little actress. And I know that, that was one of the things that got a lot of criticism too when this first aired was that people are like, no, that's, she doesn't, She's too little. She's not. And I'm like, no, she's perfect. She is absolutely perfect for this role. Mm. I mean, Carrie Fisher was not a tall woman. So I also was thinking to myself, is this the size that a 10-year-old is? And it felt appropriate to me, having at Mm -hmm. one point been a 10-year-old. I was like, yeah, this feels about right. Yeah. And I mean, there are are some variations in 10-year-olds. I was a tall 10-year-old, but I'm 5'8". But I have friends who are five one who were itty bitty little ten year olds. It's I feel like she's she's totally normal sized for a ten year old. Yeah, there's a big around that age between like seven and twelve. There's a massive variation in mm-hmm. size because some of them hit seven and they're like, okay, this is as big as I'm gonna get. You know, I'm five <laughs> right. six. You're like you are a large seven year old, <laughs> right? And you get to that point too where you get into that that prepubescent. Some people start hitting puberty at. 10 or 11 mm-hmm. and that that growth spurt starts or you have the people who puberty doesn't hit until they're 12 or 13 and they might be on the shorter side the smaller side until then mm-hmm. and i mean carrie fisher was only like what five four yeah, five she's, five she's small and then princess leia as the original trilogy and uh rebels era is like slight she is a wisp of a woman yeah yes yeah she's not gonna be and i think that that's actually part of the reason that she's She's as much fun as she is too, as she's, she's tiny. 
and yet she will destroy you. Oh, she's a pint-sized firecracker. She <laughs> yes. she will ruin your self-esteem forever. Mm-hmm. That is a weapon she that she has learned you. to deploy. Yeah. Yes. She might not be able to physically take you, but mentally she will destroy you. Does not get to spend as much time at the gun range or the Krav Maga gym as Padme did because Padme beat up more people. <laughs> I swear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But also if you think about it too, like Anakin and Padme were not really that big. Like, they were not. Padme was Padme was a very slender person. Anakin was very wiry. <laughs> I think wiry is the, wor- the right word to use for him. You are totally correct. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, yes, he might have been taller, but he was very slender. So you're going to have these scrawny little stick bug of kids. <laughs> what you get? One of the things that I have to be really careful about as our new fan is that I do our social media, but I have to also stay off of social media so that I don't Mm -hmm. get spoiled, right? And I have remained almost entirely spoiler-free for Kenobi. But last summer, my boss did walk up to me and he was like, oh, what do you think about this Kenobi show? It's so slow. So I have by osmosis (laughs) absorbed one of the criticisms of this show, which is Mm -hmm. the pacing. And I want to hear both of your thoughts about that because I loved it. I, I mean, I can, I can understand why some people would think that it was slow. There is, there is a lot of, of world building that I feel that veteran fans, especially anybody who has been watching since 1977 when the original came out, we might not need all of that world building. We might not need all of this backstory. But I also feel like a slow burn is not a bad thing. Sometimes you need to take that that time to really absorb the the weight, the emotional weight of something. You need to take that time and sit and feel your feelings because there's a lot of them. There mm. are a lot of them through this series that you need to you need to have that moment to to sit there and absorb what you just watched. Hmm. Sam, what do you think about the pacing? There's two notes I have. One is that this was slated to be a movie. Hmm. They were going to mm-hmm. make a Kenobi movie. And then because of poor planning by Disney, Solo did not perform up to snuff in the box office. Right. And so they put the kibosh on further movies. And the only the only movie that's come out since Solo is the end of the sequel trilogy. And so it's been a while since we had a Star Wars movie. So Mm -hmm. then we switched to Star Wars TV shows and we had Mandalorian and Kenobi. And an interesting thing in what was going on in the world at the time is that it was the global pandemic. And so it was a great time to be like, how would you like to have a movie except that you get an eighth of it every week and each eighth of it is an hour long because you've got Mm -hmm. nothing but time. You're sitting on your couch at home and that is a nice peaceful change of pace, but it also really takes the, the time spent because for Obi-Wan Kenobi, he was at the beginning of Phantom Menace, what, 16 years old? And he'd been living this crazy life. He had already fallen in love and lost it with Duchess Satine. He had been traveling this whole time, had run, had been a major player in the Clone Wars, had the tar beaten out of him a few times, finished the Clone Wars, fought his best friend, killed him, and watched the fall of his Jedi Order. He needs time to cool down. Mm. And it needs to take a while for him Mm -hmm. to ossify into the man he's become, which is not the man he used to be. Oh, interesting. Okay. That brought two thoughts to mind for me. One is that I agree with you. I think the pacing makes a lot of sense for this story. And I also, as a new fan, sometimes there's so much plot and it's so fast in Star Wars that I really just want to breathe 
with where we are. Like I told Sam over breakfast, I was like, if this show was set on Felucia and I got just beautiful, slow atmospheric shots of Felucia, I would also love that because it's just more time spent in the Star Wars universe. Mm -hmm. And it's at a speed that we don't normally get. It's kind of luxurious. Mm -hmm. The other thought that came to mind is... Thinking about this Obi-Wan and how he is different from any other Obi-Wan we've ever known. And mm-hmm. I'm just wondering about what what having 10 years to chew on his same thoughts has done to this Obi-Wan. Sam, you called him a broken man. Mm-hmm. I think he might have had never had the opportunity to develop a full self-confidence in himself, in his masculinity. And granted, the sense of masculinity, when I think of it, is very much shaped by being a white, Western-educated, industrialized, rational, developed male in America, which has its own massive pile of baggage. Obi-Wan has to deal with a different set of becoming an adult because Mm -hmm. he was a child soldier, just like Anakin. And he was put in this place where he lost every single thing. And he doesn't know who he is anymore because everything that he ever had was lost. He is Mm -hmm. down to a Jawa who steals his moisture evaporator parts (laughs) and sells it back to him and his delightful space camel and a little our astromech unit, which is his watchdog. And that is his entire life. Even his lightsaber, mm-hmm. the one thing that he told Anakin, you can never lose it is your life, oh. is buried in the middle of the desert. Wow. Yeah. I had not put those pieces together. And I think, too, with, with how broken he is, there, like with the nightmares, there are some massive amounts of PTSD mm-hmm. that he is sitting alone in a cave stewing over for the last 10 years Mm -hmm. there has been no emotional healing in the last 10 years there has been no grieving there i mean he's he's stuck in his grieving process he he killed his best friend Mm -hmm. and he's been sitting in a cave by himself thinking about that for the last 10 years and spiraling backwards, I think, because it's not just him thinking about killing Anakin. It's him having nightmares about Qui-Gon dying, about Padme dying, about raising mm-hmm. Anakin and then killing Anakin. And you can tell from his nightmares that he's settled on this thought pattern, which is mm-hmm. maybe he's responsible for everything. Maybe yeah. he's bearing the weight of the galaxy falling apart on his shoulders. Yeah. Wow. I can I can definitely agree with that. That is I feel like that's right on where where Obi-Wan has been. He's been sitting there thinking that everything that's happened is his fault. Wow. Everyone he's ever loved is dead because of him. Now, Kathleen, I have a bit of an awkward question to ask you because it's interesting that Bale said, "Don't worry about the boy. My daughter is the one who is gone." And I wonder if you put yourself in a position where your daughter had a twin brother who's being, you know, taken care of by farmers in northern Indiana, and <laughs> your daughter was the one taken away. Would you call this northern Indiana protector to get them? Do you? What do you feel is owed to you by this person who you <sighs> sort of quasi share parenting duties with? Like, what is that? <laughs> oh what does God. that bond look like? Co-parenting with See, Kenobi. That, it is so weird. It is. It is so incredible when when bale and brea first call obi-wan and he's like no but my duties to the boy and the is is leia any less important than him it's like ooh, ooh, no no she's not you're just saying that the boy's more important because typically the boys are the ones that are force sensitive Mm -hmm. like that is that is very much how it felt from from bale's perspective that luke Luke only matters to Obi-Wan because he might have the force and he might be the Jedi to save us all. But I don't know because I don't know if Bale's familiar with the fact that Owen and Baru haven't let Obi-Wan have a reaction, a relationship with Luke. If he knows you're just sitting in a cave staring at him, you're not actually doing anything to help him Hmm. come help my daughter. I don't know if he has that, that, that understanding or if it's the 
he's got two people watching. I need you to come help me. But I don't know. It is weird. I'm not sure I would necessarily call on that, that farmer to come save my daughter, but I understand why Bale did because it's the, no, you have a responsibility to both of them, Mm. not just to Luke. I saw that also as Bale maybe intuiting that Kenobi needs to be broken out of this stasis that he's in because he points out when Kenobi says, no, I've got to watch over the boy. He's like, you are deluding yourself. If you think that Mm -hmm. you're doing anything for the boy, that is an excuse. I think Bail Organa has always been a person trying to push people into becoming the people that they're meant to be. And in this case, Kenobi was the person he was meant to be. He was a Jedi master. He has now lost himself. And Bale, in his infinite wisdom, and God, I love that man, he's saying, mm-hmm. I'm going to push you to become the man you used to be. And I feel like he is that friend who realizes how depressed their best friend is and does the no, I don't care that you told me no. You're getting up. You're showering today. You're getting out of bed. Go do something. I'm like I feel like that is very house. much. Right. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that is very much Bale. Like no, and, and that Obi Wan's thing of the you shouldn't come here. No. Yes, he should have. He should have come and pulled you out of your nasty little cave. Go use some soap. I Get think, out of your cave. I think the cave is kind of cute. <laughs> it is. It is. It's a cute little cave. But I feel like Bale is. He is saving Obi-Wan's life on some mm. level. Wow. Under the guise of come save my daughter's life. <laughs> <laughs> well, since we're talking about someone that I love so very much, I think it's about time for Baywatch. <laughs> Baywatch. It's Baywatch, time for Baywatch. Okay, Kathleen, you are our guest of honor. You get to go first. Who is your bae, your MVP? Who is the one and only for this episode of Obi-Wan Kenobi? Oh, man. I mean, I want to say Obi-Wan because it's Obi-Wan, but it's Bail Organa. Oh, my God. Totally Bail. Bail stole the show. I love him. I've always loved him, but... Definitely for the first episode, because Bale does come and he he pushes Space Jesus out of his cave. Bale wins. <laughs> There's like a biblical reference in there, pushing pushing Space Jesus out of his cave. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Pull the rock back. A little bit Plato, a little bit Bible. Yeah. Okay, I will I will raise you an additional vote for Bale Organa. <laughs> Bale Zaddy Organa trying to bring civilized conversation to his terrible in-laws. Is such a mood. He's like, mm-hmm. yes, it's great that we now have stability. What are we going to do about slavery in the empire? And they're like, we're right. just here to eat your hors d'oeuvres and be horrible. I know. And just the way that he he always has Leia's back. And you can tell that he has always had that girl's back from the moment that infant was put in his arms. Like, he is he is such a girl dad. And I love it. I absolutely love it. That girl has her daddy wrapped around her finger, <laughs> but he is going to do everything to make the world fall at that girl's feet. Hmm. And I love that. Sam, what about you? Uh, I'm going in a completely different direction. Oh. I am choosing Reva. A cool sister. Oh. So when Reva shows up, we see three inquisitors rolling through town. And they are the scariest people to walk into Tatooine, a town which a, a planet which is run by the huts. They're the scariest in forever. And Riva is the scariest amongst them and has ambition, has all the things that make an inquisitor successful, knows how to be one, is actually inhabiting the dark side of the forest, isn't just going through the motions. And is able to actually, she's the one moving the plot along because she hired Vect to t- go after Leia. She mm-hmm. doesn't know that she is progressing the plot, but she really is. And I think it's mostly in terms of impact per line because she does not have a lot of lines. She does not have to say a lot to mm-hmm. really build up 
that the Inquisitors are the big bad of this show, and she is the biggest and baddest of them. And she is coming to town to mess things up and chew bubblegum, and she's all out of bubblegum. Oh, well, I think since Kathleen and I have critical mass, that you are (laughs) wrong, and it should be bail from all three of us, but I will allow it. You can 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 vote for Reba. I can see where he's coming from with it. So it's it's understandable, even though he's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Very good. I love Baywatch. It's my favorite part of the show. It's so much fun. All right, Sam. Is it that time? to talk about next week sure is but first uh kathleen where can we find you you can find the fsf podcast everywhere that you find your audio podcast providers as well as on youtube and you know at fsfpopcast.com we have a website i'm so proud of us we have a website <laughs> the fsf podcast is just the most incredible resource for everything nerdy, never dirty if you've ever watched anything sci-fi and said wow, I love that actor. I love that producer. The chances are that the FSF podcast has found them, interviewed them, (laughs) laughed a lot, and produced an episode about them that you can watch. And that, you just have an incredible treasure trove of interviews and knowledge on your show. We do. We have. We've had some very incredible interviews with Star Wars voice actors. We've had the incredible... Uh, Sam Witwer has been on our show, the the voice of Darth Maul. We've had Anna Graves, the voice of the beautiful Duchess Satine. We have had Star Trek actors. We've, I mean, we got to interview Armin Shimmerman twice, not just once, twice. We've had Will Wheaton. I mean, honestly, you name the franchise, we've been there. Like, it's, <laughs> it is... It is quite incredible. It is very surreal that this is my life. (laughs) Wow. How many years has FSF been doing what you do? We are celebrating our third anniversary this September. Woohoo! Yes. Yeah. I have been with the FSF podcast just over a year and a half, almost two years. I would say almost two years. It's been almost two years. So, wow. If not two years, I don't remember. It's all a very weird blur. It's that post, uh, post-pandemic post Kenobi space where everything just takes a little yes. bit of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Apparently we had 2021 somewhere in there and I don't remember most of it. So. Who knows? I never even remember the year that I met Sam. I'm like, it could have been 2020. It could have been 2021. Like the last time I knew it was 2019 and now it's 2023. And I've had incredible interviews and conversations with some of the people who shaped my childhood. And it's like, wait, what? Wow. This is this is insane. The dream. Okay, it so is. what is coming down the line for FSF Popcast that listeners should be on the lookout for? Oh, man. So we just, a couple months ago, launched our Patreon, which, please go and support our Patreon. We are doing an episode-by-episode episode Stargate review. That's fun. Because I have never watched anything Stargate. It's dumb and fun. <laughs> It is so dumb. It is so dumb. And I adore it. Um, So we started with the we started with the Stargate movie. And now we're into SG one, which that has been a lot of fun because Nick has watched Stargate. So he is Nick. (laughs) Tim keeps referring to him as as our Sherpa. He is our Stargate Sherpa. He is leading us through our Stargate journey. Which is hilarious because the number of times that Nick's like, I don't remember that. (laughs) You're supposed to be guiding us. You're supposed to be helping us. I I have to tell you for Stargate, if you've never been to Colorado Springs, which is where Stargate is set, it looks absolutely nothing like that. (laughs) As someone who (laughs) lived in Colorado Springs for 10 years, I can probably confirm that to be true. (laughs) Right? Because it's all, I think it was all filmed in Vancouver. Yes. But yeah, no. So we have, we just inter, we just released an interview with Ellen Dubin. Oh my gosh. She did Captain Phasma's voice Ooh. for the Lego Star Wars games, I think. Yeah. But we also are doing our monthly Star Wars RPG, which will go uh, June 12th is our next session. Mm-hmm. We just celebrated our one year anniversary of that as well. So it's been an event. It'll continue being eventful. The number of times that 
the number of times that my husband gets packages and I'm like, I don't want to know what's in there, do I? He's like, oh, it's just a couple of stormtroopers. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Great. I, uh, I can relate to this. Sam has been steadily decorating the shelf that wraps around our bedroom ceiling just with like, <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of X-Wing miniatures. And every time I go to bed, I look up and there's another one there. They're watching you. Gosh. Yeah, no, like... Oh, it was a couple weeks ago that all of a sudden there's a Star Destroyer. I'm like, why is there a Star Destroyer? <laughs> well, because we might Louise. need it. <laughs> but yeah, no, we've got we got lots of stuff. And I mean, check out our socials, check out our website, check out our Patreon. We are bringing content to you multiple times a week. And they are they are star-studded folks who show up on the FSF podcast. 10 out of 10, highly recommend. The vibes are impeccable. And if you love growing up Skywalker, you can also find us on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Mastodon. We have a website, growingupskywalker.com. And if you love what we're doing on the show, please feel free to drop us five stars on Apple Podcast. You can do the same thing on Spotify. You can hit that little alarm bell to make sure that you never miss an episode. And you can find us on Patreon, where we are interspersing our Tartakovsky Clone Wars recaps with some leftovers from the shows that we're watching in real time. So join us next week for the imaginatively named Kenobi Part 2, where we figure <laughs> out where he's going, the planet Dayu, what that looks like, and uh, oh, send man. this episode to someone who needs to needs to quit their job at the Space Fish Factory and pull their gun out from the hole in the desert where they buried it and go save someone's daughter. Yes. yes. I love it. Yes. Do it. And we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye.